This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Anna believes in the intersection of personal and collective healing. As you heal, grow, and unfold your gifts, you are caring for your communities and our world. And as we witness and participate in collective healing, we are helping cultivate an environment where healing is easier for all of us. Valeria interviews Anna Andahazi Salazar. She is a dancer, artist, yoga guide, and licensed mental health care provider. Her private practice, Sandstone Healing Arts, specializes in dance movement therapy for the treatment of trauma. Anna is a multicultural and multi-ethnic descendant of the Hungarian diaspora. She works through the premise that personal and collective healing are interwoven and that authentic relationship to self, others, and nature provide the supportive foundation for the heart of personal and social change. Meet Anna at sandstonehealingarts.com. Here's the interview with Anna Andahazi Salazar. In your own words, who is Anna Andahazi Salazar? Hi, Valeria. Thank you. <laughs> Yes, despite being told you asked that question, I wasn't mm. initially prepared, but I think that what comes to me first as far as my own words are kind of the words of, of a name itself or words that are given to me before I can speak. And uh, the most recent name is Salazar, is my, my married name. And so that invokes a, a strong Mexican lineage. Um, my uh, family of origin last name is Andahasi. And so that invokes my Magyar or my Hungarian lineage and ancestors. I have three other names uh, mm. and each of them carry meaning that kind of unfolds through time and reveals to me different parts of, of who I am in relationship to ancestry, how I embody who I am today and in the future. Uh, my given name, Anna, is a, a Hungarian derivative of a Sanskrit word meaning earth or food or body. For yoga practitioners, the Anamaya Kosha or the layer of our being that is our body. And so it's no surprise, perhaps, that I became a body-centered <laughs> yes. therapist and, and working with, with the level of the body, this dense physical manifestation. 
of energy. My other name is Adeodata, which means gift from God. My ego, I'm sure, would love it if that meant <laughs> that I, you know, was some uh-huh. embodied divine yes. gift. But but uh-huh. what's what I've learned of uh-huh. this name uh-huh. is that I feel that the calling or the path of my work and what I do is to help usher in the divine gifts of others. And I make reference to that in, in a lot of my writing. And then my other name, Agnes, is a family Hungarian name as well. And that uh, has some different translations as far as purity. And I'm still growing into and learning this name. I think it has something to do with uh, spiritual energy, kind of collective healing that I, I think I will continue to learn from as I grow. So that's me in, in the words that have been given to me as far as my name. Wow. <laughs> I'm listening to you and there's so much there. Amazing words. So words have power, per se. There's something about words, and that's very much true. For some reason, I was never kind of attracted, guided to look into the meaning of words, like my name that was given to me and all that. And I just interviewed somebody recently about archetypes. And Hmm. yeah, she's a therapist too. And Amazing. I mean, I have learned so much. In listening to you now, it, yeah, it reminded me of her and then another person that I also interview about healing ancestral lineage, I guess the name mm, it was, mm-hmm. her work. There's a lot of energy. There's a lot of power, as I said, in a sense of expression. And, and I wonder why I was never really guided to explore this realm. So... Talk to me for a moment about the connection between the words, like the names that are given to us and even the DNA, you know, the, the, the biology of, of being. And then what's the connection with those two aspects of, of being and then the spiritual, the divine part of us? How, are, how did they all intersect? How did they all connect, Anna, in a way? I would love if I really knew the answer to that question. Right. I, you know, it's like living and just learning as as I live. It always un- unfolds. But you know, I, what comes to my mind first is is a story of growing up in the United States. My my mother is an immigrant. She was a refugee from Hungary who grew up in Sweden, but raised. Um, me in the United States with my siblings. And I, so there was a lot of different multicultural influences and different relationship with the land beneath us from my, from my father's side and relationship with land overseas from, from both my mother and father's side. And so, uh, I remember learning a lot about individualism, maybe not that word, so to speak, but certainly the cultural values of individualism uh, were coming through in this American education. And I remember being struck by this this difference between um, home and, and school, and I was trying to assert some individual uh, original mm. type of energy. Mm. Yes. <laughs> and it was so funny because my mm. mother would 
would repeatedly tell me mm-hmm. that my mannerisms, my body movements, mm-hmm. my facial expressions, even my voice tone would at certain times appear to be exactly like distant relatives who'd passed on or I had never met. Mm. And yeah. I remember being struck mm. by a disappointment as a as a <laughs> kid trying to acculturate and assimilate right. it in America yeah. of like <laughs> what like I'm just a, a you know this carbon copy of all of these other people. There's nothing original about me. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> yeah. ah. And and yet mm. and yet I have I have grown mm. into feeling the presence of people who know me but who I don't know through just being in a body that comes from a lineage and comes from a mixture of lineages who all have their relationship with each other before my very small existence of Anna, you know, ever came into, into being. And, and so with that, I think that there's a deep intersection with the trauma healing and somatic psychotherapy work I do of allowing someone's body to tell a story that's a lot deeper than our individual mm. life or psyche mm. can can hold. Mm. And if we listen to that story and open up to it, mm. we're often transported or carried into, into a place of spirituality, meaning whatever that could mean to someone, but what is beyond our conscious kind of linear understanding, our narrative memory, we say in in more neuroscientific terms, the things that we are aware of that we remember. But then when we start to embody things that we remember on a body level, it can open up a whole new ground of, of being or sensing who we are in the world. Yes, that resonates. You see, I've just mentioned before about not being guided, kind of look into it, study and all that. I'm a student of Vedanta, Dvaita Vedanta, which is a uh, non-duality. Yeah. Oh, you know, right? It's a Hindu philosophy. So, and it's very intellectual. So all the practices is not really something that is accessed through the body. I mean, it's with the body, but not through the body, not mm. doing anything with the body. It's not yoga. Yeah, I kept asking that question, why am I not into the knowledge, spiritual knowledge? It felt like music to me. It just calms everything, the mind and body. It kind of, they rest within that realm, that reality that feels very real to me. Mm. For some people, it might might sound abstract, but it's very real. So even though somebody like myself, I was just wondering, because I have done some work you probably heard about biodanza. It's movement. It's kind of kind of dance, but it's biodance, biological dance. Bio, bio dance. <laughs> yeah, <like> biodance. <laughs> yeah, biodanza, actually, they call it. It's from, yeah. It started in Chile. So I did that at one time, and I noticed the body doing things that I never thought it would. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't interpret. I could not understand, really. I was just so surprised how much information it holds. But when it comes to trauma, like in my case, I've been traumatized as a child and then I could not trust my body, what it was instructing me to do a lot of times. The body instructing the mind to do was really was around unsafe people because they reminded me of my parents. So I was always kind of being attracted to unsafe individuals. So talk to me for a moment about that, how trauma has affected the brain and how do we learn to trust the body? 
information in the body. Oh, yeah. I, I loved what you said about your, from your own lived experience that through, through trauma, you connect that with really not feeling that you could trust what yes. your body was yeah. telling you to do. Right. And it, it, there's just so much to, to hold, I think, in that statement um, that our body actually gives us instructions. <laughs> yes, yes, it does. And, and that, and that, when it comes to to trauma, there's a confusion in in the sequence and the flow. And many past work on trauma really came out of various fields, but particularly military trauma, car accidents, big events that seem to kind of glitch or get stuck in somebody's body and mind. Um, the field of, of trauma and trauma therapy has evolved and continues to evolve rapidly. And so people sometimes hear this term like small T trauma versus big T. And so I just want to kind of touch into some of that a little bit because um, I think some of those terms can be a little bit misleading in the sense that if we have repeated experiences, no matter how big or subtle they seem, they can have a deeply impacting um impression on our body mind and how we interact with our our senses and our sense of ourself um and so when i speak of trauma i'm not i'm i'm integrating both both of those oversimplified sides of things that we major events we may have experienced, but also really subtle, repeated experiences. Um, and many of us have combination of those. <laughs> and so wanting to be able to, to speak on, on that first. And I, I am very much informed by, by neuroscience um, and that while trauma is, you know, considered a, a mental illness. Um, it is so much a condition of our nervous system and the relationship between what we're sensing from our body and what we're perceiving in our thinking or awareness centers of our brain. And so uh, if my body remembers something, uh, it will give me a signal as to whether this is familiar or whether it's unfamiliar. And I'm using those terms because safety and danger get confused here when it comes to our body. That, that often if we've experienced something repeatedly, even if our mind does not like the idea, if we've experience something repeatedly, there's a familiarity to the physical level. And so we may actually get safety signals to our, to our, our brain from our body. And so we get into this realm of, of complexity of, of why can't I trust what my body is telling me? Well, if I experience something quite dangerous, but repeatedly, if I encounter it later in life, my body might say, this is safe on some level, give me signals of safety or openness or going towards something while my brain is telling me this is dangerous, go away <laughs> and vice versa. And so I'm really over oversimplifying it, it here. Um, but I also 
like to open up the understanding that if our body remembers something, it will respond whether or not our thinking brain has a recollection. And so usually this this takes various directions with with people um, in the sense of shutting down the voice of the body. And this can be conscious or unconscious where we've learned, okay, I can't actually trust what my body's giving me. And so I'm just going to shut the whole thing down. Um, and, and other times being completely overtaken by what the information the body is giving without any reference anymore to the present moment, kind of like being taken over by a, by a tidal wave of emotional or physical sensations. And so those are just some kind of broad strokes. Um, can go into more depth if there's further questions about, about that or particular parts of the brain. Um, but I do appreciate what you said about this loss of ability to trust your body. That's was exactly the case, yes, with me. Maybe that's the reason I felt safe going intellectual, kind of trusting the intellect and what I could learn, I could observe and absorb. So that, what I could understand, really, that really felt like a safe place for me. And as I talk to you off record, and that's probably the reason I do mm. this. That's why the reason I always, every time I meet somebody, I have a tendency of asking them <laughs> deep questions and get into deep conversations mm -hmm. and not really kind of entertaining small ones. So I kind uh, of get bored or just kind mm -hmm. of, I, I'm not interested. Maybe because that makes me feel safe. Okay, if I know what your belief systems are and because I trust more of that than the body itself. So let me see how this person operates, you know, from their intellect, um, from the knowledge that they have of themselves and the world. So it's interesting to see, Anna, how trauma, yes, affects everything. It changes, it certainly changed the brain. I have heard it that way. So I guess I have a question for you that I was recently exposed to from one of my guests that I didn't interview yet. He, I have his book and we talked by email, but I didn't talk to him yet. He experienced severe trauma. He saw his mother being killed by his father. So, and then he's a psychologist these days. That was many years ago. So he was, uh, he was just, uh, the word is confusion, chaos. He just was very self-destructive too. He, did, he made a lot of bad choices. He sees it that way, but he raises the question. And the question that I will ask you now is this a question that he asks. Are we in control as we are being traumatized? That's the first question. And then when the trauma cycle results in people becoming violent and abusive later in life, are they fully in control of their choices and decisions? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so speaking of control, right? That we mm -hmm. can. So I would love to hear from your perspective. Your... Yeah. You know, in my in my work. Um, I'm always going to preface it, preface it with that because I always feel when I'm asked questions that because of the power dynamic of being a, a healthcare provider and a licensed therapist, there's there can be like an unusual amount of weight of truth that gets placed on what you say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. And so to speak to power right away and just yeah. just like really bring it into mm. to 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 my experience. Mm. Um yeah. that with with my 
clients and in my work, I actually speak extensively about power dynamics and and trauma. And in a sense, um, most of uh, the the folks I work with um, and have worked with over the last twenty years in my you know career in in health and human services is that trauma tends to be a result because of some type of an abuse or a loss of power um and and that essentially on a on a on a neurological level we are more prone to to trauma if our body is experiencing fear it's sending a lot of fear signals and then it is uh, mobilizing the body to freeze first of all and take in more information and if we perceive there's danger or there's it's so dangerous we don't have time to freeze then we we flight we we go into a sympathetic arousal and we try to run and if we are unable to run we will turn and fight and by the way this is not linear and sequence for people for individual bodies for many reasons but i'm just speaking to kind of the most basic here and and that if we turn and fight uh ideally we can run or fight and and actually use that energy of incredible fear or as we would i would say like a projection to safety <laughs> and if, and if it delivers us to safety we can actually kind of shake it off and and hopefully facilitate a return uh, to a felt sense of safety and this is an incredibly powerful somatic physiological just brainstem level inst- instinct to survive so we're down to the cellular level of of survival and if i am unable to escape or fight off something dangerous i will stay in a frozen state perhaps or i will actually dissociate into a collapsed state and it is in those situations in particular that the the power in our own body to run or to fight is actually stifled and, and in a in a sense kind of shoved back into our tissues and and so that is in a sense we're we're suddenly powerless on the outside but then also powerless on the inside to our to the own power of our physiology which has nowhere to go and and so i would you know want to just kind of start there if if any listeners have not not heard trauma talked about in that way um because what when we have trauma stored in our in our bodies it's a very very powerful dense energy usually and when it comes to living with that held inside mm. yeah. <laughs> that Tell can be <laughs> yeah, yes. well, pardon no oh, yes yeah. I, I, yeah yeah unfortunately i have well i know what that is i have an idea <laughs> sadly <laughs> all right yes and you had you had asked me about you know 
this question about what is it about the trauma cycle and and somehow a, a result of of people becoming violent or abusive later in life and um i i by and large tend to work with with sur- survivors of abuse um and and yet i also work with uh folks who have done actions that they deeply regret or have have remorse or feel that they are about to do something harmful um and i was going to name that the the research and the data on this is is out of my scope but but in conversation with with colleagues and psychiatrists and clinical psychologists who are called in to testify in court or make predictions on people's behavior have a really difficult time doing this um humans are beautiful animals. <laughs> we, yes. we, we are amazing creative <laughs> um, organisms and um, there are there are ways to understand us <laughs> and there are uh, ways to guess, but there really isn't a way to know. And most of the uh, data, so to speak, is that we're, we tend we tend to be uh, more likely to probably have health issues um, of any of various systems of our mind body um, if we have survived trauma than we are to become perpetrators of of harm for others. Um, and so just to to name that, I think that it can be it can be tricky to assume that the more I wouldn't want anyone to assume that the more trauma we have somehow the more prone we would be to to violence and abuse of of others um I don't I just don't think that that's true um and yet some of the things I said before I think apply to this in that if I have been treated with a lot of of violence um and especially if it has been in the context of what would otherwise be like an affectionate or caring relationship, this is something that's extremely um, confusing for the nervous system. And so people's uh, accultured bodies will respond in all kinds of different ways uh, to navigate that. And without uh, support and uh, restoration of of some type of safety, felt sense, internal, external. Um, it's it's very you know possible or believable uh, that there's an impulse to repeat what has happened to us, and and that is not so simple to talk about in kind of a cognitive way when we're when we're here talking with with words and ideas we're up in our prefrontal cortex and we think okay that you know situation a happened so then situation a happens again you know two decades later oh that's connected but really when we're talking about trauma and what body holds it's on this mid midbrain level we call it the lim- the limbic system in the middle part of the brain and the repetition tends to be more of a of 
something that can has the power to repeat kind of a state in the body. It's an emotional or a, or a physiological state. And so an actual repetition is often more on, on a, a felt sense level than it is on an external level. And so I think that uh, this gets into a very uh, deep place of how individual uh, people um, navigate living with trauma or, or healing through trauma uh, or avoiding it. <laughs> Or avoiding it, and and I often talk to clients about that many of the symptoms of PTSD, post traumatic stress disorder, um, are are kind of an unconscious or semi conscious or sometimes very intentional way to avoid uh, the trauma that is stored in our body. And so you had asked much earlier about, you know, how do you work through this? And it's often slowly starting to pulse in and out of relationship with the felt sense of the body because most of our symptoms, whether we're acting them out on other people in relationships, whether it's with ourselves or with behaviors or even thought patterns or emotional states that we repeat over and over, a lot of the symptoms that that people come to therapy or, or somatic therapy for to heal from are repeated unconscious attempts to protect from wounding and from the embodied memory of wounding. And so when we can actually slowly start to touch the touch the wound so to speak uh the body is amazing in knowing what to do <laughs> it really knows what to do and i i i share with people a lot what i call the uh, psychic immunity because uh often people know that there's an immune system in the physical body and a lot of medicine um, works to enhance the immune system so that it can take care and fight off viruses or uh, heal wounds. And uh, as a somatic therapist, I really feel into the this kind of what feels almost tangible to me, even though it's it's not so physical, is this palpable sense of this mind-body connection of that there's a energetic immunity that can be activated with people. And that if if there's a, a psychological wound and we can increase the the kind of wellness aspect or the, or as you brought in spirit, spiritual, yeah. um, or like an energetic mm. immunity, the psychic yeah. immune system, it can actually attend to a wound much in the same way that the physical mm. immune system attends to mm. a physical wound. Right. And so there, there's lots of jargon and science and, uh, theory and best practices and and mm. techniques and all kinds of <laughs> amazing things to geek out on the rest of your life. And <laughs> when sitting with the process, it's very much kind of a, a miraculous spiritual thing to to witness an innate 
energetic healing mechanism actually heal heal one's own wound. Mm, yes. Wow. It's amazing to hear that. I mean, you said so much there. I love this the concept, the idea of energetic immunity. And even you said spiritual, which resonates with me, that idea. But to me, they are the same, actually, energetic, spiritual. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. So there's so much we don't know, say, objectively, we can't really pin down and, and know exactly how it works. But it's so evident you have, that you have seen, of course, with your clients, I have seen with my own body, these things happening, my own body, mind. And I love the way you talked about, you, had, you mentioned earlier in this conversation about trauma being seen as a mental illness, but then you said it's really a condition of the nervous system, this regulation mm-hmm. of that, I mean, with my own words. Mm-hmm. So that really resonates true as well, right? I remember to, to this day, actually, it still happens. It's not as, it doesn't overwhelm me anymore, but it's still there. When anyone, especially my husband, he gets upset and I see kind of anger or the expression of that emotion, then something in me gets triggered. The body becomes mm-hmm. hot and it's it, it tries to have reject that expression, that kind of emotion. And now I know why, because my mother was like that. Mm-hmm. She would get very angry and she would beat me. She would be very, very violent. Mm. So I think that's the body. Ah, how interesting, Anna. Yeah, the body yeah. kind of trying to protect itself. Okay, he's getting angry. He could beat you. <laughs> that well, exa- exactly. How interesting, right? Exactly. Mm. Yeah. And and when you're, a ch- and, and, and right back in with this, there's a, there's this experience is embedded in power dynamics, some of which mm. may not be the same now yes. as it was then. Right. And so this is where uh, what the, the way your body learned to prepare and anticipate and protect you as a child, it will continue to give you the exact same instructions ah. later in life, unless updated. Yes, right. Unless updated. <laughs> unless ah. updated. And so ah. I think that yes. that it, this is uh-huh. often confusing for trauma survivors in that they can be in a situation and their body is really giving them signals and they respond a, a particular way. And then maybe a day or, or later, they look back on it and they're like, I wish I would have said this or done that. And they're they're accessing their kind of adult embodied ego state if they were perhaps maybe triggered into more of a child state in that in the situation. So it's a it's a pretty nuanced but uh deep invitation to mm. to connect with one's body and actually mm. attend to our body yes uh-huh. and that that you mentioned the the heat so with, yes. with somatic healing we would go right to the heat yes we would go right to the heat and yeah. allow the heat to actually speak whether that's through movement through sometimes the sensation in the body gives images to to the person feeling the sensation. Occasionally, I was in sitting with someone else, I'll get some strong images that seem like they belong to the collective space between us. Uh, and sometimes the body will ask for, for movement or care in some way. Um, and, and if we're able to attend to the sensation in that way, 
our body knows that we are safe enough and that it has a chance to actually release what it's been holding. Because it, I often give the example that if, if I'm being chased by a, a predator, I, I would not ever have the neurological capability to like stop and smell a rose. Yes. say yes. <laughs> or right. or stop and be like oh i think that i my mm. left shoulder itches if mm. i'm running from a predator i am mm. running from the predator and my brainstem has taken over there's no mm. there's not a lot of access to uh right. curiosity curiosity and and fear i learned uh, in mm. graduate school in our mm. neuroscience class i loved this mm. one and the, the professor said, uh, fear mm. and curiosity can't coexist in the <laughs> nervous system at the same time. And so that is a guiding guiding factor that, that if I'm feeling this sensation and if I'm in a present moment and have awareness enough of my present moment that I'm safe enough to go in and feel that sensation, I've already changed the power dynamic internally. Mm. Wow. This is a very insightful message for all of us, especially <laughs> trauma survivors, right? Which I never thought of myself in that way, but interesting hearing that now. Huh. Trauma survivor. I love the idea of being a trauma thriver. <laughs> yes, yes. And that and that really is the 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 place to go of like, wow, then once once we <laughs> learn that we can we can have sunlight light and water and and space then then who do we become i'm sitting here by some some potted plants and i they are often my therapy partners oh, <laughs> with yes. clients because they teach yes. so much about about surviving if they're in a environment of of deprivation and yet once they can learn to tolerate nourishment, they they start to tell a full story of expression and thriving. And so we get to learn from from all of these these other life forms, animals and and uh, elements and plants um, about what what not just surviving looks like, but what but what thriving can hold for us. Mm, yes, I love your connection to nature. I have read about you and ah, I looked at the website and I see some of the pictures in you, you in nature. It's almost like there's no separation <laughs> looking at you and the rocks and the forests. Just there's no, and that's how I see, I see humans. We are not separate from nature. We are nature. Yes, we are. Yet, and I always, and I always remind myself and others in the, in who, who come to me in this process that, um, my, my theoretical orientation, so to speak, or my biases are, are out in the open, which is that, uh, we are part of the natural world. And, and that even, even though we cannot, not all of us can see a physical mass of our emotions and our, our psyche, our mind, my my sense and the way I work with it and the way that I, I witness it responding quickly and beautifully is to understand that the emotions and the psyche are also part of nature and mm. and therefore follow the same sort of divine natural law. 
And if we just partner with that and, and trust it, it can lead us quickly down paths we never would have thought up. <laughs> mm, so true. And isn't it one of those laws, assume, I, I would just bring this up here, would that be the idea of flow, the idea of surrender? Would that be part of it? Because I see a lot of, a lot of times when the body-mind tries to reject, push away anything, it just becomes so much more difficult <laughs> and challenging. There's this energy of rejection, of not accepting something, that it is happening in the moment. So talk to me for a moment about that. I don't know if that's part of the, that law, but when I see flowers, uh, when I see nature, it's just, uh, it just becomes what it's meant to become. There's no, they are not saying no to what they are meant to be here or their expression in this reality. So they just kind of beautifully become what they, what they are, basically what they are. But humans, we tend to push away a lot of what, unnatural wisdom kind of guides us to to do or to express in here. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I would I'd love to hear from you, your insights on that too, yeah. Anna. You know, and, and speaking of, of nature, it, as soon as you brought in the word flow, I of course was was filled with images of water ah, <laughs> and, yes. and and water water flowing. <laughs> And, mm, and uh, yeah. you know, one of my first teachers uh, of healing was uh, the Kinnickinnick River in present-day Wisconsin. Uh, Kinnickinnick being a Dakota word for red willow bark or even tobacco, sometimes used interchangeably. But this, this river... I would walk this river as a young child and up through until like my 20s whenever I was in the in the area and I learned so much from watching this river season after season year after year because it would change the land and as it changed the land the river would change its shape. It would mm. change its sound. And mm. as it did that, all of the other animals changed around mm. it and the bend mm. would change the sound. And mm. and then sitting by it, I would notice my own changes and places that, mm. yes, there were rocks in the way or a fallen tree <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and and these different yeah. kind of uh. blocks that come in through through storms or through a, a dying and decay process. And so I'm I'm struck by the image of water and and what you said about surrender and allowing a flow um and allowing our life force so to speak to sort of carry us or guide us and that can be a deeply spiritual and healing process it will also be the process that brings us to the next blockade if there is one mm -hmm. yes <laughs> and, and yes. so i i often yeah. write about or or talk about mm. um actually letting that letting the healing process lead us to where it needs to go and and that the the work for for trauma therapy especially is is to open up the places of 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 block of blocks enough that it doesn't flood an area so quickly uh 
but also enough that it can start to relieve where there is stagnant stagnation and and that when we're allowed to actually regulate the flow of some through a place that was once stuck we have the chance to irrigate whatever comes comes next and so there's often this this uh, path which is of trauma healing or or really healing, which implies that there there is something that needs to heal, uh, which is a, a little bit in partnership with with the surrender and the flow. Which, if for many trauma survivors, that's that can be absolutely terrifying to think yes. I will go into my body and let right. whatever I'm feeling here carry <laughs> me somewhere, and then yes, <laughs> like absolutely right. not. Yes, uh, there can be a lot of fear with that. Yes, and so what what I often help. Uh, use as this this metaphor for this this flow is is just as I mentioned with with the plants that if if the plants before us have no water they won't grow or they will produce very little yeah. <laughs> fruit right, <laughs> and, right and yet if they have too much water they also might not right. produce the right. fruit or mm. grow or be mm. able to survive and reproduce yes. and so we're, mm. we're all, I'm often listening with someone and and their their loves their passions their curiosities um, what what brings them joy and where they really long for this water of life to flow so to speak and and then we irrigate channels in their lives in that way and as much as we can feel it on the body level before the water even starts to flow <laughs> and then we come back to this site of of wounding or pain or stuckness and we slowly start to allow water to actually permeate and flow through and then we've already created channels <laughs> for it for it to flow into and that is a lot more of a a trusting process for someone in their in their own body um, I had written a, you mentioned my website and I had written a little bit there and and also on my social media about about sandstone and I called my practice sandstone healing arts and um, it is a it is a stone that can actually uh, keep its form but become fully permeated with water and uh, and so in a sense it's a it's a guide to for how we we want to let the emotion the water of emotion flow through us um, and yet we also want to have some integrity and some structure and some deep trust in in our ability to withstand that flow because the the power of trauma or stuck emotion in the body is is incredibly strong and so there's there's good intuitive reason why why people fear it um and why i respect it highly <laughs> mm. yes yeah uh, wow, I love the, I mean, I love everything you said. <laughs> everything you say is just fused and not just sounds, it's fused so wise. It's coming from that place of, of course, learned wisdom, which you're, you're very much in touch with that in a, in a very um, practical sense, but also your innate wisdom comes out in your presence. It's just very beautiful. 
as I said, off record, even before meeting you, it <laughs> was already there. <laughs> like, oh my God, it feels so good to uh, even think of you. It's interesting. It's almost mm. like you have embodied a lot of what it's, you have been saying and the way you, you express in the things, what, everything you're expressing uh, through words, um, it's very much present at that energetic level. How wonderful to see. So I love the water of life, the way you speak of water. And then I love the, when you say, okay, a plant, then if you, if you, give, if you don't give enough water, then it, will, it won't flourish. And then if you give too much water, so too much water, too little mm -hmm. water. So it's, um, it goes back to the idea of balance, isn't it? Yes. Uh, we are already, we are, everything is already imbalanced or it's searching for balance. So maybe that's what, when you, you talk about um, the body's wisdom, it, that's because it is very much um, part of this realm here, natural world. So it's always searching for healing, which, mm. which is associated to balance and harmony, as nature would do, as plants would do. Um, but the most amazing thing also about that is that we see the collective healing. And mm. you, you speak of that, um, the article you sent to me, which was very academic, as you, <laughs> as you yeah. said that to me. So true. Yes, I couldn't really get to understand much of it. But I know the conclusion was very interesting. It says the body and culture are always present and participating. Individual bodies and collective social groups are the sites of trauma and therefore need to be approached as the sites of healing and resiliency. Of course, there's a lot more mm. that was said there. So I guess it's a good time to, we're almost at the end, but I would love to hear from sure. you more about this, uh, this concept, this idea of individual and collective body collective healing. Oh, we need a podcast part two. <laughs> part That's two. true. Yes, that is true. Uh, and they, they are all, this is all so, so interconnected. And we spoke a bit about ancestry and DNA and, and violence and abuse and power dynamics. Um, and so it really all comes together. Um, I, I am an engaged uh, therapist and, and artist and, and also work in, um, community groups, mutual aid. Um, and so I, I'm present in my community in ways, uh, other than just my professional role and then disappear, you know, as a, as a licensed provider. But, uh, the, the article I had, I wrote and, um, published in the Body Movement and Dance and Psychotherapy Journal um, was about vicarious trauma. So this is a, a condition under which somebody uh, develops maybe post-traumatic stress disorder or similar symptoms um, by virtue of being exposed to someone else's trauma and in particular as a therapist who works intimately with possibly the details of the tra of others trauma um, and whether the details are exposed or not uh, we are intimately working with the embodiment of the trauma and trying to renegotiate it and the one of the the main points that that you brought up here is this intersection of the collective and the personal and the cultural and practicing 
um, psychotherapy means working across multiple, multiple intersections of, of difference. Uh, we have d- different socioeconomic economic backgrounds. I've got role power. Someone's coming in as a client, but they ha- may have lots more power in society than me for different reasons. There's intersections of, of race and gender and ethnicity and immigration and all kinds of access and lack of access to resources. Um, and so the one of the main things i think i'll speak to in in this moment is that i work with a lot of activists um and caregivers and healers um who are trauma survivors themselves and uh feel feel called and, and have a, a, a calling to heal themselves uh, if they're trusting that flow of of the healing work in their own lives it inevitably brings them into as we talked about maybe a, a barrier or a place of wounding in themselves and one of the most common things that i actually hear from people whether it is spoken verbally or ends up getting navigated kind of non-verbally or somatically in the body, is that uh, people who are very attuned to the suffering of others um, tend to have received some socialization that shuts down their energy in in the sense of holding holding back getting any help or resources or healing themselves as if as if that would allow others more energy and and this is something that i come to again and again which is that when 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 we're working in realms of of activism and social justice, and we might be exposed to um, massive violence, institutional violence, and and I want to refer to that again because of what I mentioned earlier about trauma being an an abuse of power or the inability to actually use our fight or flight response to get us to safety. And so in situations of social oppression, with or without um, overt violence, on social groups, if there's if there's an oppression and a marginalization, the body will likely store that as trauma because there is there is no power outlet for it to go, or it's the back pressure from from social from social dynamics is pushing that back, and that happens on the individual body level. We feel we feel that, and we're either going to dissociate from it try to disconnect from the body or it's going to go somewhere or it's going to stay lodged in. And, and so particularly from, from my, I have lots to say around, around that too, but from my particular individual provider vantage point and working not just as an, as an activist and uh, in the community, but, but also as a therapist helping folks who who are activists in the community there is a common feeling that that people come in and say 
oh, well, this this person or this neighbor or this group of people or this or this have have it so much harder. Why should I why should I be working on this maybe per, very personal trauma that they have? Mm-hmm. And the metaphor, I, I, I like to work with metaphor and yeah. and as you said, yeah. with we've got water and plants and yeah. and I also inv- invoke the the body and the wisdom of of the the nature of the body because I say, okay, well, imagine this. Imagine that my that there's a cell <laughs> yeah. in my left shoulder that is really hurt. Hmm. And imagine that it says, well, I'm not going to, you know, heal myself because I'm aware that there's a cell down in my right knee hmm. that I think has it even worse. <laughs> <laughs> And then yeah. I, and then we kind of sit with that for a moment, uh-huh. and and because the chances of the the cell in the in the shoulder helping the knee by not helping itself is actually really unlikely. Now I'm not speaking as a you know a biochemist or a medical provider here, so I really am invoking this purely as a as a, a, a therapeutic metaphor, but that the chances of me being, being, you know, in a, in a cell in a body and helping a cell farther away who I can't reach, the chances of that actually greatly increase if I work on the health of my own cell. And, and if I work on my own health and wellness, I am then emitting a frequency into the larger body. And, and that actually will be much better at, at the larger system of being able to, to put resources where, where it's needed. Um, and this is, it's just a very, I, I get curious about uh, all of the multiple origins that that comes from. But one of the, the things I think about a lot is that it's often the people who are very sensitive, um, who have internalized a lot of messages about how how little power they have, and uh, and so that to me seems like a, a larger systemic force just shutting down individual healing. <laughs> and so and so I really sense these palpably as together that that as somebody works on their individual healing, not only are we going to be more responsive actually and have more energy to respond to the to the needs of others, but we're also less likely to replay that um, uh, and possibly as this repetition compulsion comes in, actually replay that uh, in external ways is their relationships. Um, if I've experienced an abuse of power, um, if I believe that I should just save other people, mm-hmm. then I might actually start to abuse my power trying to save other people and then hurt people along the way mm, <laughs> rather yes. than actually being able to attend <laughs> to that yes. and that Mm. that energy and and really show up in a way that is actually helpful and responsive to to mm. the outside environment too. So wow. I could probably go on and uh. on, on <laughs> about about wow. this but uh I I think that there's a a risk um in 
in psychotherapy of being too much on the individual um, and that that needs to be balanced with understanding that the way that that we heal a personal trauma might be incredibly cultural or collective in its approach too. Um, and, and that also those of us who work in um, social justice or community activist um, realms um, could benefit from looking at the individual as well. And so there being a, a differentiation between these two, but a deep linkage, just as we see in a physical body, or we talk about this in neuroscience, there's differentiation between different parts of, of the brain or the nervous system, but then linkage. They're, they're separate, but together. They're, they're separate, but also kind of one and the same. And uh, I think this is deeply important um, when it comes to, to healing on, on this individual level um, and, and also the collective. It, it, goes, it goes back and forth. In my group therapy, I often tell clients at the end of a group therapy experience and i and i say it very genuinely because i mean it and i and i have the embodied feeling of this i say thank you for bringing more healing into our world because that is what they're doing and they they are not that does not just benefit you <laughs> the individual it actually benefits everyone you come in contact with mm, wow Yes, you do have, I mean, this is a very important message and I mean, extremely insightful for all of us. We tend to forget that sometimes, right? Especially highly sensitive people, uh, empathetic. We mm -hmm. just take other people's suffering and then we go with that first. Mm -hmm. I guess you reminded me of peace activists that was funny to see that, uh, that they are actually trying to bring this idea, this concept of peace for the world but in a very, uh, let's say, conflicted way. <laughs> they yeah. don't seem to be uh -huh. peace for themselves. So that, it never made sense mm -hmm. to me. It kind of never resonated, mm -hmm. um, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's, everything is interconnected. That's one of my, one of the insights that I have gained into looking, um, not just into my own personal, actually by taking care of my personal healing, it kind of brought me into this more universal truth of interconnectedness. So the more mm. personal I become, I go, um, the deeper I go personally into healing, spirituality, whatever, exploration, curiosity, I just kind of find this larger kind of universal truth. It's incredible. So what mm -hmm. a beautiful, of course, in, in the other way around, it, because there's it's not linear anyway, but it's, I mean, your message, everything you do, you are doing, your expression, this reality, it's so beautiful and so, and very much needed. Um, and I mean, starting with the conversation, you've been open to listen to this, just listening um, and then kind of reflecting and then little by little, baby steps, putting all this into practice. Uh, I know it's not something that happens overnight and there's no rush, right, Anna, when it comes to <laughs> these processes. But it's 
we need to get started. And, and I think it is happening. I have seen um, mm-hmm. myself even like net, just observing the body and the mind and what they're doing. It's just, uh, it amazes me. And like, I think the other day somebody said, you know, I listened to some, some of your interviews like um, five years ago and two, three years ago. And it, you, you, you feel so much more authentic. It, there's something about you that mm. changed. And I had not realized that. I was just mm-hmm. kind of, it feels like it's happening, but it's not something that I was keeping track <laughs> or writing it down. So it's amazing to see nature taking care of itself. And that's um Yes. Right. Yes. And and the power of, of witnessing. You were mm. you were yeah. you're being you're being <laughs> witnessed. Yeah. Uh, and and yes. seen and it's yeah, fun. just like we talked uh, the power of nature and how this yeah. this I witnessed this river change and it also witnessed me change. And without without that relationship that we we kind of lose our lose our bearings. And so it it really is uh, a pretty beautiful thing to be in authentic relationship with yourself and your own process. And that has a deep effect and a palpable effect on, on everyone you speak with. Mm. Yes, Anna. Oh, yes, a billion times. <laughs> I, I <laughs> usually say that, you know, because I, I, I can say a trillion times, but then I don't even know how to pronounce the other one. <laughs> but it's just like infinite, you know, the yes is to that, that comes from within. Yes, um, authenticity in a sense of being true to what's true. I always go back to that. Um, what is being, what's true here, what's present. Um, and somebody defined um, recently, I just heard a definition of trauma. Somebody said trauma is the inability to be in the present, to be present. Mm. And that resonated true to me as well. Like, you know, coming from mm. trauma, I was like, oh, yeah, I used to be very much um, either in the past or future, um, depressed or anxious. Mm. And of course, all of that didn't go away, didn't disappear. It's still there, here. And I feel it sometimes. But it's just so different now, um, being able to notice, as you said, like um, to become aware of, you know, those um, the mental dynamics and the energy and the energy in the body just flowing. It's it's incredible to become the witness too. Although you don't want to, you don't want to uh, experience this from that perspective only. It's beautiful to engage too, Ryan, to just kind of embody mm-hmm. all that. And just uh, okay, it's okay to just feel. I have actually another platform that's a video interview platform that I titled uh, "The Freedom to Feel." I guess. It's it was beautiful. Yeah, related to my own processes and where I was. So we're almost at the end. I want to thank you again for your beautiful presence. I know that uh, we could talk for hours, ages, actually, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> ah, that would be amazing. I want to mention another article that you sent to me that had, was published in 2016 on high-frequency yoga breathing. That was by Spirituality Studies. So that yes. was a very interesting one too. And I, I highlighted something here that caught my attention where you wrote, breathing bridges conscious and unconscious functions. So I stopped there because it seemed like something in me understood that. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, wow. I mean, we could talk about this. It would be amazing for you to come back. I would love for you to come back here at some I point. Would love, I yeah. would love that. We could do a whole uh, oh. conversation just on breath. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, Anna. Yes, yes. Please come back. <laughs> and then I want to mention the types of therapy that you offer. Dance, movement therapy, EMDR, expressive arts, uh, humanistic, 
multicultural, uh, psychodynamic, somatic, trauma-focused. Did I miss something, Anna? That's a pretty good list. <laughs> and then at the end, um, I'll ask you a question. But before that, would you like to add or say anything that you left unsaid for this conversation? Hmm. Well, we brought in the breath. And so I think I just want to be able to in- invoke that that power of the breath. It is a deeply... Um, integrative experience to be breathing uh, constantly and unconsciously. There's a continuous impulse toward life and balance that our body is showing us every single breath cycle. There is a, a, a birth and a growth and a peak and then a dying and a dissipation and a death. And then there's the rebirth into the next breath. And this is always there uh, until we stop breathing. And it is, uh, you know, deeply biological but also spiritual and the article you mentioned at the end was a very scientific technical article oh, yes. but, but it, <laughs> but it, it <laughs> comes from a it comes from a really really <laughs> deep deeply embodied spirituality as a mm-hmm. as a lifelong student and practitioner of yoga and and so what what we have as this instinctual voice, ever flowing, wise voice of the breath um, coming from our body constantly. It really is available to us in every single moment that we choose to pay attention. And there's there's probably millions, if not billions of uh, YouTube and apps and all kinds of things to have a guided breathing meditation or practice or something like this. Uh, and yet it, it, it is incredibly simple, but also very difficult for our mind to find the breath that important. And so I just invite people, especially if, if anyone's listening who is in the midst of trauma healing or struggling with that, to um, find a way to uh, get curious about your breath and find a way to get curious about how the inhale is felt and, and how the exhale is felt. And one of the most potent practices we can do is uh, a breath awareness and eventually with time and enough attention as as sunlight and water to plants with enough attention our our body uh, will usually just show us that it is caring for us and and our mind can start to rest in in the trust of just being mm. being breathed mm-hmm. by the body. <laughs> ah, wow, what a beautiful invitation. Ah, a very inspiring one, profound, inspiring, um, all-inclusive, right? It's not leaving anything. Thank you so much again, Anna. Gosh, thank um, you. Thank you for your beautiful presence, uh, for the timeless wisdom in everything that you are uh, here expressing in this reality, all the contribution you're making. 
Thank you again. And we'll talk again soon. I would love to have you back. But um, I wanted to also mention the website. So before we say goodbye, yes. uh, the website is sandstonehealingsarts.com. So I will have actually on the podcast profile, it will be there. Are you on social media as well, Anna? Any other? I reference? am, yes. Uh, Instagram and Facebook under Sandstone Healing Arts. Um, and then I'm on LinkedIn and you'll find my, me under my name. You'll, you'll, I do have a sandstone healing arts, um, page as well, but people can find me on, on there under Anna Andahazi Salazar. Um, uh, my Instagram handle is sandstone underscore healing arts. So that's wonderful to know. So I'll have all of them, all of those handles, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, as well as the website on your podcast profile. Thank you so much again for your presence, and we'll talk soon. Bye Thank for you. now. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Anna Andahazi Salazar and her work, please visit sandstonehealingarts.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.